Well, we are in part three of this series, and I hope that it's been helpful so far. The truth is, is there are a lot of things that we are navigating in our culture, and it can be real good on some of these topics to just sit back and to listen to what God has to tell us about these topics. And so this week, we are going to be digging into a topic that can at many times feel a little bit awkward to discuss. We're going to be talking about sex. Awkward, right? <laughs> well, I remember when I was in middle school, uh, my dad said it was time for us to uh, have the talk. And so he gave me a little book uh, that was written for middle schoolers on the topic, and he had me read it. And then he asked, do you have any questions, Ben? And I was thinking to myself, yeah, Dad, I've got a lot of questions after just reading that book. But I didn't feel in the moment comfortable really asking any of them. And so I, I kind of want to uh, say that that awkward um, talk that you had once upon a time with a mom or a dad or a middle-aged health class teacher in school, um, that's not the talk that we're having today. In fact, what we're going to be talking about almost primarily are things that very rarely, if ever, showed up in those talks that mom or dad or especially a health class teacher would have had. Depending on your upbringing, uh, your parents, or maybe if you grew up in a Christian home, maybe it was even your pastor in a confirmation class or something like that, made it really clear that one of the things that's true about sex is that it's something that was intended only for the context of marriage. And, and that is absolutely biblical and true, and we'll touch upon that in, in just a moment. But besides the reality of, well, God said it's supposed to be this way, very rarely do people actually say, why? Why is it that this is something that God intended for the marriage covenant? And so when it comes to one of my main hopes and prayers for this time together that we have today, um, I would say it this way, that I hope that we have, after we're done today, a better understanding and appreciation for God's plan and design for sex. Now, you might be wondering, why talk about this at church? I thought about that. Is this the right avenue to tackle it? And I am absolutely confident that it is. And there's two reasons why this is true, why I feel that way. The first is this, that God has much to say about sex. And as a pastor, you are calling upon me and Matt to talk to you to share with you, to preach to you the things that God talks about and shares in his word. And why would God have a lot to say about sex? Well, I would say the primary reason is he's the one who created it. Way back in the Garden of Eden, on the sixth day of creation, God created Adam, 
then he created Eve, then he created marriage, and then he gave to marriage this gift called sex. He gave it to marriage in, as the way that children come into this world and as a way for husbands and wives to connect. And so God is the one who best understands and knows how this gift should best work. He's the one who created it. And then here's the other reason why it's really important for us to talk about it, is that God's not the only one that has a lot to say about it. Our culture has much to say about sex. In fact, I was thinking about this. What would happen if the church never preached on it? The only messages, the only sermons we would get is from our culture. And we get hundreds, if not thousands, of messages and sermons about sex every single day. Every TV show or movie we watch, almost every, or song that we listen to, there are messages coming at us about sex and sexuality. And frankly, most of it is like, you know, sex is pretty casual. It's just part of a dating relationship. Every time we go on the internet, messages that have to do with sex and sexuality, and I'm not just talking about pornography, although that's part of it, but you can just go on the internet very innocently and there's a pop-up ad or there is pictures of some celebrity on vacation or how about reels? There's so much that you can intentionally and or even accidentally, you know this, come into contact with. We receive messages and preaching about sex from the coworkers and classmates and neighbors that we interact with. It's the messages they share with us and what they wear. It's the messages they share with us in their conversation about this topic and maybe even more so in the decisions that they're making when it comes to sex and sexuality. And if I had to kind of summarize with a statement, the primary message that we are receiving, whether you're a teenager in high school or a senior citizen or anyone in between, it's our first fill-in for today, that it's this, that our culture has a very casual view of sex, that it's not that big of a deal. As I said before, it's part of the dating relationship, or maybe even doesn't have to be in a dating relationship. It can just be a quick hookup. Or that as long as it's two consenting adults, well, it's, it's okay. I was talking to or listening to a middle-aged single person not so long ago, and this person was talking about how when it comes to this casual view of sex, that it's, it's very hard to, even in our culture, find someone that wants to date you if you don't have this casual view of sex. Now, the other thing that I was thinking about, because right now, our minds, we're thinking about a lot of different things. I know that. The other thing I was thinking about is this that not only is sex a very important topic, it can also be a, a very convicting one. 
And I don't know your past, and I don't know your choices, and you don't know all of mine. But here's what I can say with a great deal of confidence today. There's not a, a person sitting in this room or listening online that can look back over the course of their life and say that they have been absolutely perfect in every way in this area. And that, in fact, sometimes our deepest regrets or our deepest hurts from the past that sometimes still are lingering with us today can, can come from this area of life from the past. And so even as we look at what God has to say about this today, I want you to know this. Stick with me. I want you to know that we are going to leave today, every one of us, with the ability to have joy and peace and hope, regardless, regardless of our past, or even, in some ways, our present. So, do you think that 21st century Americans are the first people who've struggled with a distorted view of sex and sexuality? It's like every culture of every age. You look at some of the things that the patriarchs in the Bible did, and you're like, wow, that, may, that makes 21st century America look a little bit tame. 2,000 years ago, there was a city in Greece uh, named Corinth. And it was considered to sort of be the epicenter of sexual immorality. I was thinking, does, does Las Vegas still have the moniker of Sin City? Is that still a thing? I think, I think it is. I, Corinth would be considered the Sin City of the day. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth type of thing. Uh, it was uh, a cosmopolitan city on the coast. Traders and businessmen would come in to the port for a couple days by themselves on work, and then they would leave. There was a temple to a pagan god that history tells us had over a thousand prostitutes who worked at this, this temple. And this casual view of sex and sexuality started to sneak into the thinking of the Christians in the congregation that a guy named Paul had planted. And long after Paul had left Corinth, he, he wrote to them because he knew the struggles that they were going through in this area, and he wanted to give them direction in this very important area of our lives. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, let's read some of the things that Paul had to say. Verse 13, you can follow along in your own personal Bible on the screen. These verses, actually not this verse, but most of them are in the program as well. You say, or culture says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what Paul is doing here is he's hinting at a very, at that time, cultural idea and thought about sex and sexuality. And he, as you can tell, he compares it to feeling hungry for food. And he's saying, you know, your culture says that if you feel hungry, go to the pantry and eat something. And that's how people at that time, and maybe today too, 
view sex and sexuality. You feel something, well then, act on it. It's just your body. It's just physical. But Paul reminds us of something else, and actually it fits very nicely with what we talked about last week, if you were here or listened online. He says that our body is for the Lord. That we are to have a different view of our body. It's not just a bunch of cells put together. Sex is not just physical. Your body is not just something to do with it, whatever you want or however you feel. In fact, a little bit later, we're going to read a pretty well-known verse where Paul says that our bodies, get this, and how would it change your view of things? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who of us would ever come to church and then just treat the building with no respect? Amp that up a little bit. Who would go to the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Testament and not take care of it? Paul tells us, you know, your body, it's yours, kind of. But God knit you together. We learned this last week, in your mother's womb. Your body is not just your own. It's for the Lord. And then, if we thought that maybe still that sex and sexuality is just something that we can do whatever we would want or whatever we would like, Paul is very clear that there's another category to this. He uses the word sexual immorality. And the, the Greek word there, you'll, you'll kind of recognize the root of it. The Greek word is pornia. Yes, it's, it's the word from which we get the word in English, pornography. And I could do a deep dive that would take us a couple hours to just show you biblically exactly what sexual immorality is. But for time's sake, I'm just going to summarize it and give you a biblical definition of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, biblically speaking, is any sexual activity that is outside of the marriage covenant. Any sexual activity that is outside of the, the covenant of one man and one woman united to each other, promised to each other and to the Lord. Lord for a lifetime. And then, and then Paul continues, by his power, God raised the Lord, talking about Jesus, from the dead, and he will raise you also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And once again, Paul is making sure the Corinthians understand something that so easily can be forgotten. We talked about it already, that, that our bodies are not our own. That we were gifted with these bodies, and someday he's actually going to raise them from the dead. So in summary, your bodies are not, or you are not, just a body. You are not just a product of biology a bunch of cells just put together. You're not just a bunch of feelings and urges. But instead, here's what you are. You are a precious creation of the creator. 
every single one of you in this room and online. You're so precious, in fact, that through Jesus, God made you a part of not just any family, but by faith you are a part of his family. And he wants to spend eternity with you forever in heaven. And you're not just a body, or you are a body, but you are also a soul. And, and in that verse that we just read, uh, Paul had the Corinthian Christians, and you and I today, think ahead to the last day. What's going to happen? This body that will turn to dust if we die before judgment day returns or Jesus comes back. It's so precious that God's going to put it back together. And he's going to make it new. And he's going to make it perfect. And he's going to unite your soul back with your body to live with him forever. And so as we consider this area of our lives that has everything to do with our bodies, what Paul is telling the Corinthians and us today is something that I hope you take to heart and that you cherish, and that's this. Number two, that you are precious. Paul is leading us to see and have a very high view of who we are. Do you understand how precious you are? Do you understand how amazingly loved by Jesus you are? I think a lot of times, maybe all the time, God loves us more than we actually love ourselves because we always see the things that we wish were changed or wished were different, and that's okay sometimes. Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you remember what Jesus did for you, body and soul, on the cross so that not just your soul lives forever, but your body? Do you understand what he's going to do for you someday? Is he going to take you to be with him? I was uh, listening to a pastor a while back uh, talk about these verses, and he used an illustration that really struck me. It got me to think a little bit, and it, it helps with this whole idea of, of you being precious. Um, have any of you heard of a Stradivarius violin? Um, so I, I have a picture of one here. Um, actually, this pastor he actually had a Stradivarius that he brought in a case and he had white gloves that he put on as he brought the Stradivarius out and I don't have the budget for that so I've got a, a picture from Google of a Stradivarius. Uh, these violins were, were built in the 18th and 17th centuries by the Stradivari family. They're from Italy. And, and still today, uh, people have had a hard time, almost impossible, to, to mimic the sound that comes from a Stradivarius. They're, they're said to be the most beautiful sounding violins ever made. And their value, well, on the very low end, we're talking thousands of dollars. There's one Stradivarius that is valued at about $20 million and a number of others in the millions. And in this illustration, this pastor, who had a bigger budget than I, he took out the, the violin with his white gloves, and he's being so careful with it. And then he asked if anyone wanted to see it. And someone about 10 rows back raised their hand. And he took the violin, 
He did this and he threw it out to the guy. Then he informed everyone that it wasn't really a Stradivarius <laughs> because he would never do that with a Stradivarius. It's too precious. <laughs> You're more precious than that violin. God says so. And that doesn't mean that we're ever going to be perfect, not just in the area of sexuality, but in all areas of taking care of ourselves perfectly. But it is a good thing to remember how much God loves you, how delicately you were made, how precious you are. Paul continues, Shall I then take the members of Christ were a part of his body in the sense of that whole idea of our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit and should I take that, that precious body and unite it with a prostitute? Never. Or in the Greek, may it never be that way. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute or, or anyone in sex is one with that person in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Now, for some of you who know your Bible pretty well, right away when you see those yellow words, you're thinking back to where? The Garden of Eden. Because when God created marriage, one of the things as he gave the gift of sex to it, he's, he said these very words, that husband and wife will become one flesh. And what he's saying is that there is a bonding that happens in sex that is very powerful and very important to remember. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, as, as science gets to better understand how our bodies work, it begins to see some of the things that God already told us, and there's this, um, there's this hormone on this chemical called oxytocin, which is called the bonding chemical or the bonding hormone. And large amounts of oxytocin in our brains are released in different times, but especially during sex. There's literally a bonding hormone, a bonding chemical that, that we have, which I'm sure, even though no one knew what it was called, is part of what God was talking about here. And so think about it this way. Number three, sex has the power to bond people together. So one of the usages of duct tape, well, honestly, for someone who's not handy like me, there's a lot of usages for, for duct tape. I mean, I've, I've actually mended pants with duct tape on the inside, yeah. So it makes them last a little bit longer. But the primary, the primary usage of duct tape is to bond things together, right? So, and I've been blessed with... Um, hairy arms from my dad. So what happens when you put duct tape on your arm? You instantly regret this illustration is what, <laughs> what happens. And uh, no, I mean, do you think this is hurting right now? No. <laughs> Not yet, Marie said, yeah. Um, no, it doesn't. 
Because when you adhere something that's supposed to bond things together, it, it's not hurting. When does it hurt? <laughs> that's right, Murray. Pray for me. <laughs> yeah. What hurts is when you take something apart that was meant to be bonded together. In fact, sometimes there's long-term consequences like hairs that are on this piece of duct tape right now. And maybe that's, maybe that's an illustrative way to think about it and to remember that there is an amazing bonding that happens through God's gift of sex, which is, which is so beautiful in the context of two people who are promised each other to each other and made promises to be there and better for worse and sicker and in healthier, <laughs> richer and poorer. Um, but when is used just casually in dating, off and on and off and on, there can be some hurt there. There will be. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Beautiful, absolutely beautiful in the right context, challenging and difficult, and even sometimes damaging when not. So, with that context, let me ask this. Now that you know a little bit more about what God had intended about this, imagine you were God. What would you do if you were God about sex and sexuality? Or maybe a different way to say, what would you say about it? What would you direct the people that you love and care for when it comes to this area? Maybe it would sound something like this. Next verse. Flee. Not from sex. From sexual immorality. From things and sexual activity outside of the marriage bond. Oh, yeah, there, there can be some short-term fun. But what God is making, reminding us is of what he intended and the things to remember when you think about the long term. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's that verse. Do you not know? Remember, your bodies are temples of God himself, temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Your body is not just yours to do with whatever you want with it when you recognize Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, I think those last words are a great way to think about like what to do from here. A great way to think about it is what does it look like for you and me to honor God with our bodies? Yeah, in the area of sex and sexuality, in the area of just health in general, in the area of how we use our time in all areas. But for today, in the context that Paul is writing, in this area, what does it look like to honor God with, our, with sex and sexuality? 
And there are so many applications and I would say takeaways that we could have from today. And if you have your own, write them down. Don't forget what God is guiding your heart and mind to today. Write it down. But for my purposes, I wanted to, just in case you weren't thinking of something specific, to just direct you to, to two things. There can be a lot of things. Here are two things. Number one, takeaway. God is directing us today to keep sexual activity within the marriage covenant. If you're someone who's not married, for all the reasons we talked about today, it's a decision to keep sex in the bonds and the bounds of marriage. And maybe that's not what your past or present is like. I want you to know Today's a new day. A new chapter can be started and begun. It's not too late to turn and to start new and to start fresh. And if you're single and dating, I think this whole realm should be one of the, the biggest determining factors, not the only, but one of them in who you decide to date. And do you see this area of life in the same way? If you are already dating, these can be some difficult conversations to have. But I, I think God is directing us to have them today. And if you need guidance or prayers or direction from a pastor, I know too. Or from Christian friends, talk to them about it. I'll be praying for you. Here's the other one. First though, do you know what a guardrail is? This is when I say guardrail, I'm talking about this metal thing along the roads. And if you notice, a guardrail is set between where you should be driving and where you don't want to be driving, and it helps keep you in the bounds of where you're safe, okay? I think this is one of the, the biggest things. I read about it once in a great way to apply what um, we talked about today from God's word. Number two application, whether you're married or single, we need to set up guard, guardrails, what I'm talking about is because messages of sex and sexuality are all around us every day, hundreds if not thousands, we need to predecide what circumstances or situations we're going to allow ourselves to be in. We need to predecide what it looks like to honor God with our bodies in a dating relationship. We need to predecide what it looks like to honor God in our internet usage and if there's the need for some accountability there. There's some great tools and instruments out there for, for that. But setting up guardrails, whether you're married or you're single, a very important thing we can do. I said at the beginning, this is a message and an area of life that is going to hit a lot of us in a lot of different ways. And that none of us sitting here today can say that we are absolutely perfect in this area. In fact, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is even he who lusts after another person, lusts after a woman, is guilty of committing adultery. And so I don't just want to talk to you today about truth. I also want to talk to you about the amazing grace of God. 
There's a story that Jesus told. It's a pretty famous one. There's this young man. He loved his dad, but he loved his dad's money more. He said, Dad, you're probably not going to die for a while. You're young yet, but can I have my inheritance anyway? And the dad decided, okay, son, if that's what you want. He gave him his inheritance, and some of you know what happened. The son took that money. Maybe he went to Corinth. I don't know. It was just a story. But what Jesus said is he spent all of it in wild living, drugs and alcohol, and you can bet sexual immorality. And then there's this point where he's seen that all this stuff did not bring him the joy that he was wanting, and he had nothing left. In fact, he was eating pig food. And Jesus says he came to his senses. Maybe for some of us, that's what happened today. For all of us, I'm sure there's some things that we came to our senses about today. And yeah, that's, I need to watch that. I need to be careful with that. I think what happened is this boy came to repentance. It's like, what do I do now? I have no money. I have no food. Maybe I'll go back to dad. And I probably won't get my old room back. But he has servants and slaves. Maybe he'll let me stay. And then in Luke chapter 15, we read. So he got up and went to his dad. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and is filled with, I want to ask you, what would you fill in there? Anger? Disappointment? But in the story, Jesus says he is filled with compassion and love. And he, the dad, ran to his boy, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've come to my senses. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, but the father interrupted him. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 23. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate And dad threw a party, a tame one, for his boy, who, although sinful, came home to receive the love and forgiveness and grace of his dad. Number four. Jesus is teaching us that God longs for the sinner to come home. And I want you to know, it's not that he doesn't care about sin. 
It's not that he just looks the other way. God welcomes you home today, no matter what you've done, because Jesus went to the cross and paid his life and his death for our sin. He paid the cost. And now, no matter again who you are or what you've done or what you're struggling with, there may be some changes that need to be made. But God says, come home. I still love you. You're still mine. You know what God throws celebrations for? Sinners made clean by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is uh, not an easy topic in our culture today. And the things that you teach us, Lord, you know this. They're different than what we're hearing. They're different than what we see. And I pray that we understand the love that you have for us as you give us direction in this area. I pray that you give us the strength to walk each day more closely to you, to forgive us when we fail, and to have us ask that question, how do we honor you with our lives and with our bodies? I pray for your strength and your blessing upon those listening who maybe need to make some big changes. I pray that you give them the strength to do that. We pray this all in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen.